0: My name is Trip Gorman, and in this episode of Samia VC, I sat down with Piero Nunez del Arisco, who spent 12 years at Dominican financial services giant Grupo Universal before joining Scotiabank as their head of digital banking for the Caribbean, Central America, and Uruguay. Piero was also previously vice president of the board at the Dominican Financial Technology Association before founding PANA, where he's seeking to revolutionize personal finance and remittance sending for the 62 million Latinos living in the United States. We discussed Pana's nerve-wracking process of being admitted into Y Combinator, how venture capital and tech has developed in the Dominican Republic over the past five to ten years, and how Web3 will play a role in the future of remittance sending. We also discussed why the Caribbean is often overlooked by VCs, but how it is now poised to grow. Learn about all this and more in this episode of Samia VC. Could you start by telling the audience a little bit more about your work history up to and including founding Pana? Sure, sure. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much. And I'm happy to be here. Um. So I was born in a artistic family, if you want to put it some way. My dad and a couple of uncles and cousins and stuff are in the uh, media industry. My dad was a TV host and presenter, like uh, for most of all all of his life, basically. So it was kind of like expected that we all would follow kind of like a path on TV and stuff. So. The truth is speaking in public, getting out there, you know, getting the message out um, was not that hard for me, like nor for, you know, you know most of my family members. Um, but I knew I loved business. Um, I loved business. Um, I wanted to do something big. I felt I had a huge mission. I I always felt I had this big desire to do something big. Um, and and sometimes you you ask yourself, is that just like your ego talking or do you really have that? And that's kind of like one of those challenges um that we can talk about in a second. But anyway, I I felt the need to, you know, if I wanna do that, if I wanna do something big, and if I wanna do a big business, um I gotta prepare for that so i gotta go and you know do the the one-on-one and walk the you know the full path and just prepping uh not just going to school uh learning everything i need to learn um and and you know i i wanted to work for companies that really provided me exactly that type of of boot camp experience so that eventually i could have my own big you know uh, number one company in the world. Um, and every every step of the way I took was kind of like in the path towards that. Um, one of those learnings was building a thicker skin, uh, which is like one of the things I, since I'm a dreamer, I'm uh, you know, I'm emotional. Uh, I, I always said, well, if I'm on a board on a, after an IPO, you know, I'm going to have to deal with a lot of, you know, strong stuff. So I got to get maybe a a thicker skin as well. So anyway, I started my journey with that in mind. You know, I I, I need to learn, that you know, things that are more on a technical side, on the business side. How do you run a business? What do you do? How do you do it? How do you manage teams? How do you hire? All that. So I started working at Banco Popular. It's kind of like the biggest private bank in the Dominican Republic. Uh, Amazing boot camp type of experience where I learned a lot. Then I went on to uh, Grupo Universal, which is a, it was kind of like a parent company at that time. Um, And and I I first started in internet banking um, and and not just in internet banking, but in customer support and internet banking. Then I went and I, I went up the ladder on many roles in commercial and business development and sales and whatnot. So... I, I start building this you know um, framework or platform uh, out of which I can actually you know grow and learn and and eventually have that, you know my my own uh, company. Um, on the personal side, that also had a huge effect on what type of life I wanted. I knew I wanted a type of life like home, you know uh, wife, uh, kids etc. So I think everything kind of like started stirring. And then I eventually had my first startup. I learned a lot successes and failures. Uh, then I had um, a couple of other great jobs. I went to, you know, I, I, I went up the ladder and, and uh, corporate ladder and and got promotions and stuff. And then uh, I was hired by Scotiabank to lead its digital factory, which I know we'll talk about in a second. But um, and w- there was this one point where I was not expecting it, but my opportunity, the opportunity of my lifetime came in and I had to take I had to take it. And, and it's it's a feeling I cannot describe, but I had to take that chance. And I feel that the drive and energy behind Pana is exactly that. It's exactly something that has has been stirring for centuries for like my lifetime that's what that's that's how i feel right so uh anyway we're here and i feel i've been preparing for this all my life
0: would you please tell the audience a bit more about your time as head of digital banking for the caribbean central america and uruguay at scotia bank digital factory
1: it was an amazing experience it was it was not what i was looking for at the moment but it was exactly what i needed at the moment i uh scotia bank reached out and said we need a head of digital banking for 11 countries, 11 plus countries um, to help us lead the digital factory, which is the place out of which digital banking team operates. And um, so I basically uh, hired, uh, grew, and led a team of 130 plus engineers, um, uh, designers, uh, product uh, analytics, you name it. So what we did was, you know we just basically created the full experience from beginning to end from front to back and we built the digital banking tools completely internet banking mobile um web etc so we had to build that great experience and we had to do it through the pandemic which is an amazing experience as well so completely remote 130 plus people just creating and building amazing digital banking
0: tools could you tell the audience a bit more about your role as head of retail and corporate wealth management at Grupo Universal?
1: Yes, just like the previous experience, I, I, I've had amazing, I've been amazingly lucky to be able to build great teams um, and to be part of great teams. Um, at uh, AFI Universal, I was the director for the commercial team. We basically, t- it was... It was a startup within a huge holding uh, group. Uh, it was this new division, uh, this asset management uh, wing. Uh, and we basically uh, hired, uh, grew, and led the commercial team just to go out there, get uh, customers to start trusting, investing, and putting their, their pesos into, the, into this mutual funds that we managed. Uh, the best thing we achieved was not just the amount we raised, the amazing team we we shaped and formed, which is still there. Um, um, but I think the best was helping Dominican savers achieve their dreams and goals through our uh, saving products. I think that that obviously was an amazing experience and, and one that I'll keep close to
0: my heart. How has the Dominican Republic's venture capital and technology ecosystem changed over the past 5, 10 to 15 years?
1: You know, trip. While it's still in its infancy uh, in terms of of capital and and you know um, and and uh, framework, I think it has come a long way, especially in terms of uh, awareness. So you know, uh, just a couple of years ago, you spoke about venture capital. And that was crazy. I think it was people went as far as a loan, uh, you know, and just a DCF and, and valuation based on cash flow. And that's that. I mean, I remember when I started pitching my first investors back in 2010 ish. Uh, honestly, I, <laughs> uh, a lot of them were like, you know, wealthy dentists uh, that. You know, they just said like, so when 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 do I get my money back? And I was I was like, how can I kind of like explain two things, not just explain this, but, but do my business. So, but now there, you know, angel investor networks, they're actually private funds. Uh, so it's taking shape. I think the Dominican Republic is is one of those very promising space uh you know um countries in the near future in fact i can tell you now that there is there are more investors and there's more money than there is projects so i will encourage you know any one of your listeners who would like to start up a company and they could do it remotely and they or and or they could do it for the dominican market um you know, to do it, I think there's a huge and beautiful opportunity to start there.
0: Is the Dominican Republic paving the way for Caribbean venture capital and technology as a whole, or how do how does your country fit into that larger puzzle piece of the whole Caribbean region?
1: That's a great question. The country is hungry. The country is growing, and, and yes, it has all the intentions uh, to start building that. And in fact, they have. I have been in conversations with uh, big investors of putting in a lot of their capital into new companies. And the truth is uh, the amount that one of them could invest, you know, there's no company that needs that much money. So we need to start working on developing that ecosystem where really entrepreneurs can can thrive, can, can actually thrive and, and have access to that capital, but just start building companies, right? Uh, I think it's 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 a great it's a, it's it's in a great moment in time, um, and yes, there is an obstacle, of course, uh, which is the market is not so big. So I think the caveat here is, what are the things that entrepreneurs can work on that would be scalable internationally? I think that, that that's the sweet spot there, uh, because if you focus on the Dominican market, it might be too small for some. Uh, startups. But if you think about DR being your staging area, I think it's an amazing opportunity.
0: What unique insights can you share stemming from your time as vice president of the board of directors of the Dominican Association of FinTechs?
1: Yeah, you know, number one, that there's so much talent in the Dominican Republic uh, in terms of financial technology. um there's There's a lot of hunger and a lot of drive to just build better financial uh, products. And that there are more um people who want to build great financial products than you might think of. Um, you know, it was an amazing experience in the way that we all got together, created an association. We basically were the founders of the association. Now it has hundreds of members, um, and 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 I think it's now serving as the platform for you know young entrepreneurs or existing fintechs that would like to you know scale and take things seriously. So um, you know it's it's a great again it's a great opportunity uh, in the Dominican Republic right now because you have a lot of uh, half of the population underserved. And there's a lot of drive to create better uh, products and
0: services for them. Let's switch gears now and talk a little bit more about Pana. Could you tell the audience why you created it, more about it? Give us that whole arc and story there.
1: Yeah, so Pana is a challenger bank. You can also call it a digital bank, a neo bank. It's a fintech for the 62 million Latinos living in the U.S., um, customers can open an account without a without a social security number or with it. They can send money home without uh, fees on these remittances up to three hundred dollars, and they can join, they can borrow and lend from each other within the app in social group chats. Um, the insight came um, when I was I was through my time as head of digital banking at Scotia Bank. I saw the power of building um, great product banking product at scale um and one of those trips i i I was i I was once visiting uh family members in the u.s and i went to open an account and to my surprise uh i could not open an account online because i did not have an ssn back then um i was like oh that's weird so i went to a branch and it was a 1996 ish experience Uh, i sat on a wooden desk and a lot of papers and this guy didn't even look like he wanted to open an account or serve me. Uh, uh, I never got like his name clearly. Uh, I got an ATM card, not even a debit card. So you put your money in and you have no idea what to do with it. So then I got, I tried to get a hold of this uh, um, officer later on for a transfer. Nowhere near. So it was a horrible experience. And it turns out I I, I suddenly realized that, I was not alone on this. There are 12 million people in the U.S. who do not have a, an SSN. A lot of recent migrants just coming into the U.S. in their process of getting their, their SSN or their work visa or whatever. And, you know, we also realize that even if you do have an SSN or a banking relationship, um, financial services for Latinos is really cumbersome, it's really expensive. Sending money back home, it's incredibly tough in 2022. So we said, listen, I think it's time so that Latinos, which, which is the fastest growing mi- minority in the U.S. with a $1.7 trillion buying power, does not feel like a second class citizen anymore. So we knew that this was the time, this was the opportunity, and we have a team that has done that before and, and that could definitely do it at a larger scale in the U S. So that's how Pana started. We have literally lived through the experiences of migrating, of renting a house, of buying a car or opening a bank account, sending money home or um, not. So that's how it, it came to happen. And apparently um, you know everything indicates that we're on the right track. Uh, we joined the Visa Fast Track program. We were accepted into Y Combinator. Um, you know we're we're now almost ending
0: the batch. So anyway, that that's how it, it came came to be. You mentioned Y Combinator. How was that process of both getting into and going through Y Combinator with Pana?
1: I had dream. You know, I've been dreaming of of. Getting into YC um, for a long time, and that's the truth, and that's the truth for so many people out there, although they'll not say it. Uh, I had applied for YC. I had uh, gotten um, a decline, and those email, that hurtful email that says, "Unfortunately." Um, so, um, but with Bona, uh, that was that was with previous startups. Uh, but with Bana, you know, when when me and my co-founder Luis got to talk, and and you know, I had this initial insight, and idea, and then I, I talked to him, and you know, we together we gave life to it, um, it came to life like in uh, based on discussions from both of us, and uh, and I, you know, I once said, you know, man, I think this could we could get into YC with this because I think. I think we're onto something and um, a couple of weeks passed and then that suddenly the, the opening for YC uh, came in, like you can now apply for the for the batch for the summer 22 batch. we applied. Uh, we carefully applied. Uh, I once got that email um, and it says, we want to interview you. That was an amazing moment. Uh, then we had that interview. Uh, ten minutes felt like two seconds, but it was amazing. It was just like you read on blogs around uh, about it everywhere. Um, an amazing interview. One of which uh, we went out just feeling strong, but at the same time you're not sure. So like, <clears> hmm, <throat> I think we did it well, but did we? So we we finished the interview, and you know. You kind of like get a call or get an email. An email if you got rejected or a call if you got accepted. And we got, you know, hours passed by. It was horrible because, you know, you're just waiting and you're anxious. And um, we we suddenly got an email. I'm like, what? And then um, the email said, basically said, we want, we'll have some follow-up questions. So we did answer them uh, like a 24 hour turnaround. And then we you know a couple of days later got a call and maybe one of the happiest moments in my professional career.
0: Wow. And congratulations. Moving on to talking more about remittances as a whole, what would the average American not know about sending remittances abroad?
1: Remittances, um and I'm you know. I'm going to quote my dad on this. Love is felt more in the distance. And every Dominican, Mexican, Colombian, Peruvian who have migrated to the U.S. for a better life, every time they send money back home, it's an act of love. So um, a lot of people just see a number. Um, A lot, you know, many others see an act of love, an act of caring, um, a family thing. So I I think that's maybe one of the biggest insights uh, around remittance. Um, And yeah, and the Republic is one of those countries who receive a lot of remittance every year.
0: How will Web3 play a role in the future of remittances? It's a very interesting question, I think the
1: technology is very promising um you know it is in in its early days so i think we need to start seeing how it pans out i think we need to divide the conversation into one thing is if a coin is worth or not if if a coin is worth investing on it on and that if its value is gonna grow or not i think. That's one type of conversation. Uh, there's another conversation around technology. I think we will, we need to focus on the the technology. How good is it? Um. Again, because we're on thirty days, you know, you might find it challenging to you know create a network, an infrastructure that can actually replace what there is right now in terms of payment payment networks, you know, the last mile. One, one thing is to buy an asset in the U.S. and sell uh, it in the DR. But, you know, how is that going to work for someone underbanked in Elias Piñas, Dominican Republic, to receive their remittance in cash in their front door? How do you do that? You need a an infrastructure, right? So, you know, sometimes we, we compare... The best of one thing with the worst of another. and maybe that kind of like has been dominating the conversation today nowadays. But I think there's a huge opportunity for remittance uh, with web three and with all this new technology. But we need to have a clear understanding on what, when, and how. And again, I think
0: we're we're on its early days right now, but but it's definitely promising you tell the audience about and an unexpected challenge you faced starting Pana and how you overcame that challenge?
1: Uh, yes, I think, you know, I, I one day, um, I was actually kind of like surprised that since day one, everything was going super smooth. And I was like, where is it? Where is it? You know, when when you start something, there's always... Um, and it's like you know, Darwin's theory. I was like, oh man, I, I shouldn't have asked that question so much because uh, one day it came. Um and you know, I can't get a lot into details, but there was this hiccup or basically obstacle in the infrastructure. Like when you try to build a, a Neobank in our case, you gotta put a lot of pieces together, like the full stack from the front end. To, you know, all the way to the backend and the bank score and the satellites and the peripherals and the network of caching, cash out, the processor, you know, whatever, you know, you, you're putting together a lot of stuff, right? So uh, we had an obstacle one of those days and it was like a week away from launching. So we had <clears throat> basically it represented a potential delay of 60 days. We we're going to be dead in the water. <laughs> um, and the truth is, um, the first thing I, I, I did was both feel horrible, <laughs> stress out. Um, but I had to realize that we had to find a way. Uh, if I kept crying, I, I would have, I would just simply, you know, probably be dead from a company perspective, but we obviously, I, you know, I said, I called my co-founder call I said, listen, let's deal with it and let's first try to find a solution and then, you know, um, share it with the team and then let's start to execute it. Um, and one of the things you kind of like have to do at those moments is maybe limit, uh, how much information you are sharing um, outside the inner circle at that moment, because you know, you might get uh part of the team a little bit, you know, down with the news and and stressed without need. So uh anyway, we we worked around it, we figured it out. Uh, then we got together as a full team and we find us, we found a solution um and we took those 60 days down to seven. So it was amazing, uh, really uh, amazing
0: uh, opportunity. Wow, amazing indeed. So finally, I have to ask Peter Thiel's famous contrarian question, but with a uniquely Samia VC twist. What important truth about the Dominican Republic or Latin America do very few people agree with you on? A couple of days ago, I told my co-founder that, um,
1: I, I said, listen, I think we have a a good chance of of creating a beautiful story and having a, a wonderful impact for millions of people who right now don't have maybe proper financial products or services in the U.S. But you know what? One of those insights that I think we could send out, it's a message to the Latino diaspora worldwide is that you can make great businesses uh, good, you know, uh, ethical, uh, honest, responsible business and thrive, that could be maybe the best message. And the, the reason why I tell you this context is because I really truly believe that the challenges that we're born with as La- Latin Americans, you know, give give us, you know, a much more stronger prep and boot camp and DNA and resiliency and resource resourcefulness. Um that if we were to add the other components of studying, you know being respectful, being responsible and and you know and just learning how to play the game, I think we actually have an edge in In the competitive landscape of the world. So basically, I think Latinos today are underestimated and and much of that is because we have yet to do a lot of work in 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 learning, preparing ourselves, and getting better and better and better. But when we do, I think as a region and as a, as a community
0: and as a family, um, I think we have a huge potential uh, to do great things in the world. Well, Piero, thank you so much for coming on the Simia VC podcast today. I very much appreciate it. It was my absolute pressure. Thank you for watching this episode of the Samia VC podcast. Make sure to like and subscribe wherever you view your podcasts. Also subscribe to Samia VC's DealFlow LA newsletter, which can be found by going to dealflow.la.